not so much that it didn't happen. It turns out they were kind of looking in the wrong direction back at the time. We're not surfing here, Pierre. Although you look like you can surf. <laughs> and the key word there is, you know, they're not ready yet. Where is the next sector within gaming for that? The industry isn't just going to sit around and hope that something changes in California and Texas, two of the most impactful ones that come to mind. I disagree with that. How do operators work to deepen customer relationships? If you give consumers an option to game, they will game. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Solutions, the leading iGaming PAM platform with a modular approach, including many benefits like a fast, secure, and scalable API-based platform integrated with all major third-party products and services. Make sure you head over to Pragmatic Solutions and join our smart thinking. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, a leading game developer providing player favorites to the most successful brands across the industry. With an award-winning multi-product portfolio of slots, live casino, bingo, virtual sports, and more, Pragmatic Play is powering up new possibilities of play through one single API. Visit PragmaticPlay.com and discover your favorite every time. All right, we are back on the podcast with uh, Will Green here today as consultant, uh, founder, and the general advisor within the North American online gambling and online sports betting industry. Will, great to see you again. How are you doing today? I'm doing doing really well. Like we just talked about uh, off camera up here. It's a little bit early, but it usually is different <laughs> sorts of things. So I'm going to rely on you for the energy right off the bat, and then I'll 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 bring it more on the on the back end. I, I was thinking about putting my hair up in a little bun, um, but you know I, oh, yeah. I don't really have don't have a lot to work with just to try to match you know well, yeah. oh, well, your your, your well, style and energy here. But you know, uh, say love you. Well, but no, things are great. Salavi, my friend. Uh, in in one year's time, when we do the follow up podcast here, I'm expecting the uh, the bun to be there as well. Just FYI. Um, okay. Just, just, right. you, know, you, as long, you have a year to grow. As long as you don't, as long as you don't check all my predictions, I'll come with the bun. And, <laughs> and, well, that's a fair trade off, right? That, that's a good deal. I like it. Okay. Uh, so. So I'm really excited today, Will. Obviously, we met you in G2E a couple of months ago and talked about the um, the kind of second wave that is uh, approaching uh, the North American online betting and gambling space. And many people have predicted that this kind of second wave would come from uh, a new kind of wave of online sports betting operators. Um, but that didn't exactly turn out to be the case. Can you talk a little bit more about this second wave that didn't happen and your theory of uh, where it's going to come from, perhaps? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's an interesting question. I think it's not so much that it didn't happen, it's more kind of as if this second wave was sort of a second ripple uh and over a longer right. period and a more diffuse period of time and it came from a sector or sectors that people weren't necessarily looking at. Um you know, by and large we're at the place now where, you know, sports betting is still really catching its breath, so to speak, you know, over 30 states have legalized the rate of you know realistic new states is is very low. Um, though there there will be more, but it's not at all like it was. The, the consolidation wave came, the M and A came, everybody dropped out, and you know there's about eight operators probably with a true shot to compete nationally, and I think that number will go down a few more in the coming years. You know everyone's pushing for higher margin markets. You know specifically the continuing obsession with you know single game parlays, for example. They've kind of taken the extra chairs away from the table and everyone's sitting there, you know, trying to eat the same food, trying to get more out of the same meal. 
Um, and so betting is also really no longer a novelty for most consumers. Like five years ago, when you were sitting here in the U.S., not you, Pierre, specifically, but when someone was sitting <laughs> here in the U.S., it was like the U.S. invented sports betting. Uh, you remember the fervor, you know? And now it's yeah. been so marketed, so advertised, so, you know, over-contented, if that's a word, that it's really been mainstreamed, right, amongst U.S. consumers or at least U.S. sports fans um, and legal states, you know, at a truly insane pace. And so the result is that I think from a product and a consumer perspective, we kind of are where we are, and, and now we're seeing the growing pains, right? And growth is happening incidentally, right, on the long tail out of kind of the natural compounding element of this, I think as much as it is due to new or recent legislation or, or necessarily new products. Um, you know, you look a lot at the most important innovations in vending right now, I think they're products at the vendor level that make things easier um, or more cost effective for operators to do business, to allow them to comply more effectively with an ever tangled web, uh, and sometimes a simply really burdensome web of, of state laws. You know, when you really boil it down, few of these innovations that we kind of thought would necessarily uh, fuel the second wave from within the betting industry um, with single game parlay set aside. I'll, I'll put that I'll put that over there because that, that has really, truly been impactful. But few of the innovations, I think, that maybe folks thought would come from other LSB operators, for example, um, they're, they're less kind of front facing product innovations that consumers are aware of. I mean. If you're counting those, if you're evaluating those, I think two of the most impactful ones that come to mind, you know, in-app live streaming of NFL games domestically, that's a huge deal here. Um, things like DraftKings pick six product, you know, those are there. Those things are there. But those are basically not, I would argue, betting innovations, right? One's a video feed that people finally paid enough money for. The other is a peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, honestly, more of a fantasy-esque, you know, type product. And that should tell you something, right? Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's not saying that there is no innovation in the industry, but betting kind of is where betting is. There aren't really a ton of new flavors. And if the field is established and, and churning along, then as a consumer, you know, looking for something that that's different or legally, some might say barely different, you know, your first stop is probably DFS 2.0, you know, pick two or three player props from players from different teams and do it against the house. Right. And that's really the, the quote unquote wave. Right. We, we were supposed to have this second wave. You know, that's right. It was a very day over year term, you know, around conferences, you know, on LinkedIn and like 2021. Um, I'm sure you heard about it all the time. You go to more conferences than anyone, you know, and, and I'm sure it was, you know, on, on everyone's on everyone's lips. But I think instead money started getting really expensive. Customers remained difficult to acquire. Uh, and retain, you know, for challengers in particular, as they were all along. And so this second wave kind of, you know, not to kind of copy myself, I guess, from the opening, you know, moments of this podcast, but it really was kind of more like a second ripple. And it consisted really from the betting operator side of a mix of theretofore, you know, quiet incumbents, folks like 365 and Hard Rock, um, quiet at the time, not necessarily quiet now. And, you know, acquisitive, non-endemic brands like Fanatics and, you know, ESPN. And everyone was looking for one of these guys to like crawl up FanDuel's leg. And there's still time and it could still happen. But it turns out they were kind of looking in the wrong direction back at the time, right? And they should have been looking really at the single player prop DFS operators, um, you know, and yes. really considering that more. And they certainly are now.
Yeah, right. So the the uh, kind of new wave of DFS uh, operators have kind of come from left field as uh, kind of new challengers in the space. And I, I think DFS yeah. as a product in general is a quite interesting product because it was born out of a loophole back in the 2000s, right? When the, um, uh, when, when the UEGA came down and the hammer came down against uh, online poker in the North American market. And from that uh, law, uh, fantasy sports was protected. Right, and um, someone figured out that instead of doing the season-long fantasy sports, you can just uh, tweak the product and um, and create this daily fantasy sports uh, offering, which is very similar to a regular sports uh, book, essentially. And so um, the history of DFS has always been kind of like walking the tightrope, and there's always been regulatory challenges within that space. But it seems like this new generation of um, DFS 2.0 operators, as you as you name them. Uh, or even more walking that tightrope of um, of what is within the uh, kind of uh, the, within the regulatory framework and not and, and uh, we've seen obviously some of the um, kind of new generation of, of DFS operators facing uh, legal and regulatory challenges and so to that end uh, do you think uh, this um, DFS 2.0 wave could also be thwarted somehow? Uh, and do you think that some operators are even in in danger of not being able to continue operation at some point? Yeah, I mean, this will be the first of several times that I note that I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm probably not uh, probably not the greatest person to be speaking on like the legal eligibility and technicalities of these companies. That said, um, you know, DFS operators have received cease and desist letters. You know, in states like Wyoming and Florida, they've pulled out of states like. Uh, Maryland and Michigan, I believe, um, a state we'll talk about more in a minute. Um, you know, regulators have argued that DFS operators, by operating prop pick them against the house, I mean, it's it's detractors would say it's like the the third or fourth loophole down the line uh, that that has been exploited. The loophole of loopholes, I think, regulators would would argue uh, in some states, and there isn't really a consensus out there. Um, that doing so against the house as opposed to, you know, peer to peer contests that they're violating fantasy laws and others disagree. And that's kind of the nature of the continuing ongoing debate. Um, I think regardless of which side of the debate you fall on, and I'm not really here to take a position on either side of that. One of the questions that's never really been fully answered is how can a DFS operator and a sports betting operator offer literally identical products, right? A player prop parlay with two or more legs under completely different gaming licenses and regulatory frameworks. How, how, how does that work? How does that coexist in a long-term sustainable marketplace where we have regulatory clarity? Um, I think speaking more broadly to their success, uh, I think it's less a question of whether they'll shut down. These companies are very well-resourced. They're very savvy. They have great leadership teams in place. I'm, I'm referring to, to really the DFS 2.0 operators in particular. Um, and it's more really about, you know, which which of the two competing directions will they pivot toward? You know, there, there's pivoting to uh, full license sports betting, right? Which, as we know, is more expensive. There's more, you know, regulatory red tape. Um, there's just, uh, a, there's a lot more to deal with, quite frankly. Um, and then there's the second option, which is really kind of sticking within the framework of games that are more indisputably legal, under existing fantasy laws and continuing to innovate and pioneer in, you know, that space, right? Season long fantasy sports, uh, full lineup type of games, games where you're competing against groups of other people, um, you know, more peer to peer focused type products. 
And many of these companies, you know, they're well capitalized, right? They'll be as low as any challenger brand, um, despite of that capitalization, you know, to spend money to access, you know, a new sports betting licensure framework, market access, et cetera, et cetera. But they well might do it. Uh, some of them already are and, and have been making movements in that space to prepare for an eventuality where they'll be running a fully legalized sports betting product, um, perhaps even in parallel with their fantasy product. Um, I, I'll say they're not going down without a fight. Um, you know, but more than the word fight, I would say without a constructive dialogue uh, with regulatory authorities and other stakeholders. These companies, and again, I'm referring to the DFS 2.0 companies. You know, they're well resourced. They're well, they're well organized. Um, they're staffing up their their fantasy sports coalition. They're putting resources behind that to engage uh, on the policy front in a more aggressive and coordinated manner. And um, I think that's smart. And, you know, there's there's lessons to be learned there for other sectors, right? Not necessarily LSB, not necessarily DFS, but other sectors that are sort of coming next um, about how and when to uh, kind of do that and take that proactive regulatory step. You know, and, and speaking to those resources and, and the DFS company's success, just really quickly, you know, tying this back to that second wave discussion, you know, these are the companies that, that really drove what that second wave actually was. Um, competing on a product in a parallel dimension, so to speak, uh, to LSB, uh, a parallel legal framework. And that's that's the most interesting takeaway for me. Not so much that they did it. We all know I'm not reading the news from 2022, uh, but that they did it and that maybe others can do it. And finding where is the next sector within gaming for that. I, I think that's, that's a challenge uh, that is really interesting to me. I think it's a challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs, founders, VCs, um, are really starting to, to take a look at, particularly as the industry continues to consolidate and it's harder to extract that LTV from your average customer. Right. And so, you know, this summary of this podcast today is that we are, of course, exploring these um, alternative products and alternative ways into uh, taking a bite out of the um, uh, the big price in the, in the kind of sports betting landscape today. And um, you talked about DFS being the second wave here, uh, but another product that is... Um, more and more coming to the surface, if you will, at the moment is uh, the uh, sweepstakes uh, operators, which uh, uh, have been operating for a number of years. But it's more, I feel, I get the feeling that it's the in the last 12 months when um, the industry is talking more and more about the sweepstakes operators and uh, using using the sweepstakes laws as a means to enter um, uh, enter online gambling and, and, and sports betting. So uh, to that end, you know, yep. could we kind of could we kind of frame the kind of sweeps operators as like the third wave into this uh, into this market? Uh, what, what's your what's your thoughts there? Um, yeah, on the sweepstakes operators we, in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of loath to predict another wave specifically. I mean, we're not surfing here, Pierre. Although you look like you can surf. <laughs> you, you you look like you surf between I'm ready. conference yes. and, and Malta. Yeah, you you could pull that off. You know, like a I'm ready. Wetsuit. I'm ready for it. No, mind. but I I mean, we, we we talked earlier though about how kind of this quote unquote second wave that everybody has sort of autopsied and that I just sort of clumsily autopsied myself. It didn't really happen necessarily all at once. It kind of crept up on people. It came from several different product sources, um, and it's something, the hangover effects of which, from a regulatory perspective, we're dealing with now. Saying there's going to be this wave kind of sounds like it's all surging up at once, and there's this new thing, and it just takes everything over. But I, I do think in terms of what is that element after DFS that becomes the next sort of new thing to, to tinker with, to work with, to invest in, to innovate around, 
I, I do think there's a ton of potential in, you know, what I kind of call sports betting around the edges, um, you know, things that operate under different legal frameworks, but legal frameworks, nonetheless, you know, from LSB or fantasy laws, um, you know, that directly address and, and regulate their activity. Social casino in particular, I think, you know, reading reports from a lot of really smart people, I, I think the industry is kind of beginning to see some slowdown there. But you know, the vertical domain is really exciting and that has a lot of room for innovation and maturity, I think is, is sweepstakes, which, which I would differentiate from, from social casino. Um, a report from Eilers and Crycheck, you know, they, they estimate the market at about 4 billion in total spend, I think slightly higher than that uh, this year, uh, growing at over a 30% CAGR to almost 7 billion total spend by, by 2025. Um, and they note a growing number of new entrants in the space. A lot of chatter amongst, I think the fundraising community um, the founder, the startup community is that there's just more and more people that are, are kind of turning to focus on this space. And, you know, sweepstakes aren't new, right? Sweepstakes are as old as betting, if not older than betting. But I think there's room and areas within sweeps to innovate. And just the cost of doing business is, is so much lower, right? It's just plainly what it is, right? Um, betting is Betting is kind of set right now. If you want it, it's there right now. There are clear U.S. market share leaders within LSB. It's pretty good at what it is, and I think there'll there'll always be that demand. But if you want new things and new experience, new experiences, you know, just as DFS kind of came along and said, we're going to push the envelope here, we're going to innovate on product. You know, I think consumers aren't always going to be looking in the same old places at the same old things. So for LSB incumbents, right, and I'll, I'll tie this back to sweepstakes here in a second. You know, for LSB incumbents, you know, I think as much focus and attention as ever. Um, with kind of the headlines and what's going on, the focus and attention over the next 12 to 18 months, I think is going to really be on enhanced compliance and responsible gaming efforts and carving out market share from both, you know, DFS competition, as well as, you know, that kind of core group of other LSB operators around the table uh, that we mentioned. And some challenger LSB brands will, will succeed. I, I don't even want to say challenger. It's hard to call somebody like ESPN or a giant like 365 a challenger. I mean, these guys are massive, extraordinarily successful businesses in so many verticals. I think some of those non-FanDuel DraftKings operators will, will succeed, and I think some some will fade away. But the focus, I think, for them is really going to be on compliance and RG efforts because we're facing some hurdles in those areas as an industry. Um, and like we said, fighting over the same food at, at, at the shared table, right? And... You know, to, to do that, particularly from things like, you know, DFS and uh, against the house DFS, you don't really need to innovate on product. I'm not saying people aren't innovating on product, but to me, that's not necessarily the core core need uh, as LSB operators see it currently. You need to innovate on the proud gaming industry tradition of stifling inconvenient competition for you uh, or just, you know, copying the product outright. And, and that's... That, that that's going to drag on for another 12 to 18 months, at least not copying products, but taking, you know, focus and attention and really putting it on these core issues facing the industry. So if LSB is more or less set, if it's busy self-regulating, if it's busy competing for share, making some innovative product tweaks around the edges, if it's busy, you know, quite honestly, kind of combating or going toe to toe with DFS 2.0. And furthermore, if DFS 2.0 is busy fending off regulatory threats, fighting for the legality of some of its products or pivoting its products or just getting into setting up legal sports betting, then where is that next growth area in sports gaming? By growth area, I mean area of product 
just pure product innovation. Somebody coming along and saying, our focus is acquiring users to do this new thing that has not really been rolled out anywhere. So you look and you say, well, where, where is that area? Um, I don't know is expanding the core product offering. I mean, DraftKings did literally just launch uh, their, their pick six product, which is really just kind of a restructured fantasy-esque product. But like, will expanding the core product set at LSB operators be a top, top priority, um, yeah. especially expanding beyond sports and casino? Is that where we're going to see innovation? Will we see it at the DFS level? Maybe, um, you know, competitions that encompass maybe safer forms of DFS, more peer-to-peer stuff, more, um, you know, season-long type fantasy games or other ways to monetize like DFS with a social feed, peer-related content, right? Platforms where you sync uh, or create your existing fantasy leagues, you know, those come to mind. Or lastly, will you really see more expansion outside you know, uh, that sports betting around the edges area, uh, a sports betting like experience, um, whether that's traditional or contest or sweepstakes or other formats kind of put in a, in a parallel vehicle, like we said, in, in a, in another parallel dimension. And I think a lot of people are looking at that last option as perhaps a more realistic option while LSB and DFS have quite honestly, a ton on their plate and a condensed, very competitive marketplace um, where there's still pressure, you know, to access not really a growing total addressable market. I mean, it's inching up. Um, and I think in, in the face of that, a lot of people are looking at that sweepstakes space um, really to see, you know, where the next form of innovation is coming from. As far as the sweepstakes model itself, um, you know, I've spoken with several on the investment side that have said with, with a few notable exceptions, which we'll talk about here in a minute, that, you know, investment in this space isn't really fully there yet. People have invested, obviously, but for some, it's a tough check to write. And I think so much of that comes down to balancing, liking the upside of the space, particularly, you know, there are far fewer cost impediments. You can do newer and exciting things. Balancing that with, you know, maybe um, the thought or the concern that the same type of regulatory pushback against DFS 2.0 might also come against sweepstakes. And I, I disagree with that, but I, I, I have heard that from, from, from a lot of people. Um, you know, at the same time, the key word there is, you know, they're not ready yet. And I think a lot of folks within the industry are bullish on the future of the sweepstakes vertical because more eyes and more attention on the space, it ultimately means that we'll see more movement and more clarity. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so uh, Will, you talked earlier about the uh, sweepstakes um, kind of GDR totaling around 4 billion at the moment uh, per, per year. And I did a quick Google search here just to uh, put this in context, what this number means. If we compare that to the total iGaming or online gambling uh, GDR that is being produced uh, between the legal states right now, and it's it's uh, it's approximately 5 billion. So uh, quite well, similar to be, levels there, right? To be, to be totally clear, that, that that was a total spend figure. So I, I think the, 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 the analog to GGR is a little misguided. It's more to talk about just money coming in in general. Uh, so I don't want to I don't want to mistake right. or okay. confuse people with, with the figures. But it's still I think the real takeaway from that is to say it was X now it's three X in a few years, right? It's more about the rate of growth rather than the existing size and seeing that there's imminent growth potential there. But sorry, right. sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, the point here, I suppose, is that uh, today only a couple of states, uh, six states are uh, legalized for uh, for online gambling specifically. 
And um, obviously, there is a huge market in the US that is uh, not being served uh, currently with online gambling. And uh, sweepstakes uh, is a means to be able to serve uh, the, the the rest of the population uh, online gambling products, uh, essentially. And I want to just... Um, for the audience, perhaps that isn't that well well versed in the product itself, like uh, what is sweepstakes? Uh, can you talk a little bit more and just break down perhaps just a very basic history, perhaps of uh, if you will, what is uh, the uh, what, what is the sweepstakes product? Where does it come from, and um, how does it exist in this context today? Sure. I mean, yeah. Let's let's start with you know sweeps in general, right? They, they've been around forever. Um, there's, there's very famous us examples. There's the McDonald's, you know, monopoly sweepstakes. There's the Starbucks for life sweepstakes. There's a million other examples, right? These national examples, these famous, you know, retail brands that sell a product. And then along with the purchase of that product, you know, they give you game pieces or an entry code or points or coins or whatever with which, you know, you enter into a game of chance, a sweepstakes, right? And, the sweeps, uh, you know, serves to promote the brand, to promote the product um, that that you purchased initially, right? And you also have to provide for consumers a free method uh, to get those game pieces or coins or points or entry codes or what have you, um, even if the consumer never buys a product, right? That's the alternative method of entry, um, you know, stipulation with sweepstakes that is sort of unique to the sweepstakes format, where consideration is not required, right? Consideration being payment. Um, but then there's the application of sweepstakes, right, in the gaming space, right? Not necessarily uh, in the hamburger space. So, you know, people act like sweepstakes and gaming is a new thing. Um, it's been around uh, for a very long time as well. Uh, it also just wasn't invented yesterday. And, and you know, the legality is really the same. I think the, the customer experience format is slightly different. Um, but effectively, you know, for gaming arena sweepstakes, you know, users can sign up. They can begin playing for free. Uh, with play chips, you know, it's very kind of similar to a social casino. Um, when I say chips, I'm referring to the casino example here rather than sports. Um, you know, those chips are all also available uh, for purchase if you run out or you want more or, you know, you want to play uh, at a higher volume. The sweepstakes operator, you know, can award users um, with a sweeps currency separate from the chips for free as a promotional tool. So, um, you can either you know pay for more chips and then get this special sweeps currency alongside it as a nice little add-on, right? Um, or you can you know request that special sweepstakes currency uh, you know for free uh, again using like the alternative method of entry method, and the operator you know has to oblige that request and and send it to you. Um, users can play these same games you know that they've been playing with play chips, um, really using that special sweepstakes currency. So now. Now there's a second currency within the same game format that you can use to play. And after that sweeps currency is played through the contest games, you know, a user's uh, contest winnings can basically be, be cashed out, right, for, for money uh, or, you know, other physical prizes or other items, right? So that's kind of how the currency goes through the, the ecosystem, right? And, that, and that's different from Social Casino, as we sort of noted earlier, because there's a prize awarded at the end, right? Um, now, this has worked out really well so far um, for a lot of companies, you know, on the, on the casino side, um, the most notable example, and I don't mean licensed casino side, I mean, sweepstakes casino side under a sweepstakes framework, you know, the, the most notable examples obviously are our VGW, you know, Chumba, Lucky Land, et cetera. Um, Stake as well has gotten into the sweepstakes space, or should I say the, uh, the Drake casino. 
uh, <laughs> on the on the sports side, you know, the clear the clear example and the, the clear bellwether so far is Fliff, who I think have done a tremendous job and, and honestly haven't really gotten as much attention as they deserve. Um, and, uh, you know, consumers like these products because I mean, they're easy to access. They are both technically and in reality free to access. Um, and they offer a gamified experience where it feels like you're competing in something almost rather than gambling. And it's not technically by the letter of the law gambling because you're fitting under a separate legal framework, right? Plus, like, do you want a hamburger or do you want a hamburger plus a small chance of winning a million dollars? They're the same price, right? You'll always choose the second one. So I think these things can exist as of now under an existing legal framework, state sweepstakes law, where, you know, other online gaming options, other online betting options, uh, you know, might not be available. And, you know, another thing that excites me kind of about the, the sweepstakes space long term, Pierre, and, and to me still fits within that pre-existing regulatory model, but maybe in a more traditional sense, is applying more of the old school sweepstakes model to sports gaming. And now I'm specifically talking uh, more about a, a sports focused sweepstakes product, you know, letting people who might be into betting, um, uh, but don't really know much about it, letting people who might balk at the idea of depositing money on a website, um, you know, people that maybe want to try this, but culturally sports betting isn't really a thing where they live, which we are a big country. There's a lot of areas of the country where it's not <laughs> letting that cohort you know, maybe buy a standalone non-gaming related product. And then with that purchase, giving customers the ability to partake in a separate, you know, sports betting style, uh, sports betting adjacent product with which to win cash prizes. Um, you know, this model kind of takes away that any sort of against the house element, which is always something that gets regulators' attention. It fosters the idea that what you're purchasing is separate from the element of the sweepstakes itself. I think there's a lot of potential there as well. In addition to all the success of the previous format that we just talked about, you know, that, that those operators are, are experiencing success with. So there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And there's a lot of exciting, I think, avenues for profitability there in developments. Several operators have already provided the blueprint. I think that there are additional complementary or parallel blueprints. I mean, you can leverage under, you know, a sweepstakes competition, you know, an audience from, say, Dick's Sporting Goods in a different way uh, than, say, you know, DraftKings signing a big check to acquire Dick's Sporting Goods customer lists so you can serve them specifically sports betting content under a legal sports betting, you know, framework. There's an incredible opportunity for, you know, brand partnerships, content integrations uh, with sweepstakes in a way that I don't think we have seen fully gamified uh, and fully turned out at scale. Um, at least not for, you know, an indefinite or an ongoing duration, uh, because really in the first five years, honestly, Pierre, of the sports betting space here in the US, you know, content partnership is just code for be our affiliate, a robot will write this article, speed it up, please. We've got the next eight states <laughs> to move along to, you know, um, yeah. in the sports sweepstakes space, like if Target wants to do a sports betting sweepstakes, it can do it. It can monetize its customers in, in a different and more unique way. It's all right there. Now, Target doesn't want to do it yet by themselves. They don't want to operate it. They don't want to go first. <laughs> but the fact remains that like Kroger grocery stores, giant, massive U.S. chain here in the U.S., has licensed, legal, regulated, full-on, cash-in, well, maybe not cash-in, but 
full-on real money sports betting kiosks next to the lettuce, right, <laughs> in their stores in states. So some of that mysticism of sports betting is gambling and it's over there and our business is this very other thing that's at arm's length from that and it's over here. Uh, some of that mysticism has really gotten out the window. And other brands with moderate risk tolerance, I think, have an opportunity to see that and engage both legally and innovatively in this space. Um, so at any rate, uh, there's a number of ways to to look at it. That was a little monologuish, but I think whether it's the traditional or recently traditional sweeps model that those companies we just talked about have used, or it's maybe applying a little bit more of a traditional sweeps model, there's just a lot of room for, for growth and for creative people to come in and say, hey, I think this is the next way that we can bring growth to this industry and, and really monetize in the sports space. Right, right. Yeah, but, you know, the fact still remains, Will, that like when the uh, sweepstakes laws were set up, I believe it was in the 50s or something like that, the idea was that you, as an organization, um, if you wanted to conduct a lottery, uh, but um, that lottery was um, basically anyone can participate, even if you don't have to purchase the product in order to participate, um, mm -hmm. whether you um, whether, whether you buy the product or you don't buy the product, you should be able to enter this lottery without any um, monetary investment or any investment uh, whatsoever. Essentially, you should be able to enter this contest um, mm -hmm. as, as such. And, and that was kind of like a separate framework then from if you wanted to organize a traditional lottery where you actually do pay to win a prize at the end. So if you imagine the... Um, the old Coca-Cola bottles that you could buy previously, and you open the um, you screw open the the, the the cork, and and underneath it you see uh, the this um, this code that you can enter uh, through a website, yep. and you can enter this sweepstake competition. You didn't actually have to buy that bottle of Coca-Cola because on the um, uh, on on the bottle there should also be clear instruction on how you can enter this competition without having to buy this bottle of Coke. So that's like the spirit. Mm -hmm of, of mm -hmm. sweepstakes right, right. um right. so so with that context in mind it seems that um the uh, sweepstakes operators are kind of finding loopholes around the sweepstakes laws in order to offer the product yes legally but perhaps against the spirit of what the sweepstakes laws were meant to uh, to be so uh, with that in mind do you think um do you think eventually uh, the, the operators are running a risk that regulators will eventually wake up and um, amend the laws loose that we are talking about here on the DFS uh, side of things? First of all, I think that all of the operators that I mentioned in the sweep space, I mean, to my knowledge anyway, are offering that alternative method of entry that, that you just talked about. I, I don't know of any mainstream successful you know sweepstakes operators that have somehow flouted that i i do believe that, that they are compliant with that and the fact is you know there are these structures for conducting sweepstakes in a way that is lawful and pre-established and it's it's fairly black and white honestly you know this is about working within the framework of that law um, or a series of laws i think if we're talking about you know a national sweepstakes to create an entertainment experience. And there is incredibly robust demand in the US for new experiences and new experiences in that space. So if you are sticking to you know, the literal letter of the law and the literal interpretations, and as long as you are legitimately offering that AMOE, which again, I, as, as I understand it, they are, 
I, I don't know if there's necessarily that risk there. Now, ironically, after you and I first talked about doing this podcast, but before we filmed it today, um, the Michigan regulator uh, announced that it sent cease and desist letters to two uh, casino yeah. sweepstakes operators that were accepting customers uh, within their state, um, presumably under you know Michigan's existing legal framework, right? Um, and some casino sweepstakes, you know, operators have pulled out of that state. Um, this was sort of a from the regulator kind of a dead cat bounce uh, reaction from I think a similar action uh, taken shortly before against you know against the house pick'em dfs so um you know that was the regulator's interpretation a lot of the future i think will depend on how or if those companies decide um to further adapt you know to uh, what is really already the legal and regulated kind of sweepstakes environment and it could be regulated further there there could be some activity um along the lines that really sort of you know create new laws or amend new laws I think that that is possible that that we will see that. Um, it's still unclear from Michigan side exactly what the violations were. Uh, Michigan claimed, again, in their interpretation that those companies were in violation of the state's gambling law. Um, again, that's their interpretation. I think sending ceases and desists is not the same thing as stakeholders working together to amend the law or a regulatory framework. Um, in fact, it's the complete opposite. Um, and sending them is almost a dime a dozen at this point, whether or not they're merited, uh, just ask, you know, the DFS operators. And, you know, I, I use the phrase kind of about to be regulated just now. I think as some look at sweepstakes and say, man, is that going to be DFS 3.0 from a regulatory heartburn perspective? Right. There's a growing call to help, I think, establish proactive um, regulatory clarity uh, and, and perhaps legal clarity in the space. Um, so that's like a, a half answer to your question. I, I do think there could be some movement there at, at putting clarity around existing laws um, or accentuating or amending those. But I think just in general, that sort of proactive regulatory movement is very smart. Um, we're seeing more of a reactionary regulatory movement from the DFS camp. Um, and we're, we're seeing how that's going, right? It, the tide could turn and it could continue to be successful, but I think it's always better to be proactive um, than reactive. But I mean, with that Michigan example, you know, we have like a classic case, I think, of selective enforcement uh, going on really in a lot of jurisdictions, but going on there, you know, in Michigan in particular, we're like, I mean, offshore gambling sites, sports or casino, right? Always have and, and you know, continually and openly kind of flout, you know, US law where they're accepting US customers. You don't see those being aggressively targeted by a lot of U.S. regulatory authorities, right? Whereas sweepstakes gaming companies in the Michigan instance that, again, as far as we're aware of, are offering a product that is legal. It's under existing law, uh, under the framework that has been established for a long time. They're being told to shut down. And so when you have selective enforcement, what you usually have is an ineffective imbalance of power among stakeholders, or you have a lack of stakeholder organization and engagement uh, on behalf of those being asked to shut down. I think we're going to see that change very quickly. And I actually don't think that that's an accurate long-term characterization of where the sweepstakes space will be. But I, I, I think we're going to see that change. You know, several of these companies, including the ones I mentioned, they, they have the right pieces in place. They're sophisticated organizations. Um, they have the right investors. They have the right board members. Um, you know, they're savvy and more experienced in this space. These companies, I think, will eventually have 
well, not eventually, will have the willingness to engage with the right stakeholders on this issue. Um, and I think because of that, they will continue to find ways to thrive, similar to how DFS, maybe a little bit belatedly, um, is also doing, right, in their sphere. I think they're also well capitalized. I think they've also got the right people behind it. And, and they are coming to the table and engaging, maybe if it's a little bit late. So for those in the sweep space that, well, to your initial point, for any of those that don't offer the alternative method of entry, yeah, that's a problem. But <laughs> beyond that, um, and I'm not aware of any of those, but beyond that, for those that don't engage in you know, the regulated space uh, and, and those that don't take that proactive regulatory step, I think that vulnerability um, could linger, um, and especially for the newcomers. You know, the longevity in the market it can take to scale, monetize, have brand recognition and trust, maybe to get acquired, that runway suddenly gets potentially shortened if you do have that regulatory scrutiny um, because you haven't really stepped up to be public and engaging with, you know, regulatory authorities in the, in the jurisdictions where you operate. And that impacts the terminal value of your business. So, um, you know, for me, it's a question of that appetite for engagement. And I, I think at least in the sweepstakes space, there is going to be, and already is kind of a, a continuing call for that in a good way. Right. So, um, so Will, we've traveled through a couple of parallel dimensions today. We <laughs> talked about DFS 2.0. Uh, it's it's time, time travel. It's time travel, time travel with Pierre is what it is. I love it. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. And, and we, in, in early morning for that matter as well. But, uh, but yes, we, we, uh, we traveled through the DFS 2.0 landscape. We talked about uh, social casinos um, briefly. And of course, uh, the, the new generation of sweepstakes uh, operators that are, are propping up left, right and center. Are there any other kind of under the radar products contributing to this potential third wave then, if you will, if we are using this lingo here today? Yeah, um, I think the third wave could be harder to pick out, as we sort of talked about, because again, there's this more diffuse sense of little pockets of innovation here and there, more like little bits and pieces of disruption rather than this type of gaming is now here and it's sweeping the country, you know. Um, but, you know, innovation as well within like the, tra the traditional verticals aimed at helping, you know, a more concentrated industry increase customer LTV by putting more things on the store shelves. I, I think that's really the um, sort of long tail wave, quote unquote, that we're looking at is more what products are we putting on the shelves, right? And so then you start to look at, well, where are those more under the radar products that could serve as, um, you know, an innovative element that I can add to my storefront that can bring a new user cohort to my business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is increased interest in the sweepstakes space for exactly this reason, among others, because frankly, you know, this is seen as maybe that next monetizable frontier, you know, in and around gaming that applies to online sports and casino operators looking to diversify product offering um, as much as it applies to those looking to disrupt. So, you know, we, we already mentioned somebody like Fliff. They're not really honestly under the radar any longer. Um, I think we'll be hearing a lot more names uh, in the sweeps vertical in the next 12 to 18 months in both sports and in casino. Uh, you know, earlier we mentioned there's going to be more innovation in the fantasy space. Um, I, I do I, I do believe that. Um, I think if you look at something like, you know, Dabble, that's really gaining a lot of traction, a lot Incredible, of US users in a, yeah, in a really company. short span of, yeah, in a really short span of time, right, where you're adding in that social element um, in a way that doesn't really seem corny or um, forced, right? 
I think that's a great example. Uh, you look here in the States at companies like uh, Splash Sports, you know, the, the folks behind Run Your Pool, uh, where you're basically giving people the customizable option to migrate their pools to their platform, you know, build innovative pool formats from scratch, right? A lot of customization and flexibility um, and, you know, charging them for some services along the way, facilitating their, their entry fees and payments. I think that's a great example. Um, I, I would sort of say the same thing about a company like Verse Fantasy. Um, I think there are a lot of, ex uh, of examples in the fantasy space too um, that are, are a little bit still under the radar. Um, there, there may be not examples, what I just mentioned, of things that are completely unknown, um, but there are examples of companies at the intersection of gaming and a social element, gaming and another vertical, gaming and alternative avenues to monetization. Um, that would either be complementary to endemic stakeholders as an acquisition piece or could exist, you know, outside the mainstream LSB or DFS framework and really do what they do, right? Um, on sports in particular, you know, the industry isn't just going to sit around and hope that something changes in California and Texas, right? The interesting question to me will be to see whether the call comes from inside the house, so to speak, or from outside right. the house in terms of what constituencies are, are driving, you know, the next user experiences that stick. Right. And, and so to that end, Will, I'm, I'm curious to understand as well, within the uh, online sports betting and online gambling space today, you have the incumbents, of course, and I'm a big fan of looking at the Alias and Kirkus report as well. And when you follow trend lines there, you see that, for example, um, okay, this month FanDuel lost a little bit GDR, and uh, and the DraftKings were able to increase their GDR. Uh, they they took yeah. market share from from each other. Let's say, but um, yeah. do you think uh, do you think there is any potential for disruption uh, within the the online uh, sports betting space? And if so, do you think that could potentially eventually come from these alternative products, or is there also any potential for disruption within the traditional disruption within the traditional online sports betting space as well, or is that market too settled uh, at this point? You know, I think there's a lot of areas for disruption, and we've talked about a ton of them. Um, there's a core focus, though, I think for me outside of just product innovation, which we did spend the last hour talking about, and which is obviously really interesting. But I think really banner A1 headline, you know, for the industry, I think we've got to have a more serious conversation where we're focusing on operators at every level, LSB, DFS, sweepstakes, you know, everybody, not just like deepening things like customer loyalty or innovating new products, but really deepening customer relationships, right? Um, you know, if you give consumers an option to game, they'll game. Right. If you give users something that they enjoy, that's truly differentiated, that invests in them and forms a relationship with them, they'll use it. Now, this is the states, right? You, you need legal clarity. You need to be able to get money in and out of the platform, right? You need a product whose digital architecture, you know, doesn't wobble and snap under the weight of activity. But by and large, give people something fun that creates a personal connection with them and they'll keep coming back. It's basically, you know, making friends, right? <laughs> Except you're also a business. And that two-pronged approach is not always our industry's focus. Um, if you're a guy in Indiana who bets on an online sports book, who is that sports book to you, right? It isn't a who, it's a what, right? And who are you to the sports book? I mean, too often you're a risk assessment, right? 
it's like the exact opposite of the neighborhood hardware store where you know a guy, you know, Ed, who's been behind the counter for 30 years, right? You don't really know who's behind the digital counter at the sports book. And I don't mean the sports book never sends you marketing emails with, hello, first name, how are you? Like at the top, I, I mean, it, it has no personal connection to you in your life, right? It's a blob of prices and team marks and logos and servers and online media. Uh, the product is great. It's top of the line. You might be able to win money quickly. Uh, you might be able to get it in now quickly. Almost zero suspension time during live betting, right? They're, they're all good things, but it's largely an isolative experience. And isolation is a negative feeling for customers, but it's also a negative for operators who are trying to mine the store and who really need to know more about their customers than, well, I've got the last four of your social. I mean, we brag all the time about leading know your customer requirements, but what about actually knowing your customer? You know, a guy who clearly didn't have 22 million in net worth to spend defrauded his NFL team employer of $22 million and he spent most of it on, you know, sportsbook and fantasy sites, lost it. And, you know, it just kept happening for three years. We don't really talk about that in the industry, right? Um, these are extreme examples. Uh, people who want to commit fraud usually find a way to do so. But there are many little day-to-day -day examples of how the online product uh, is isolative in terms of the patron interacting with it. And in terms of the company sometimes keeping itself at arm's distance from customers where you need to take a deeper look under the hood. Um, you know, you're alone on your phone, right? You, you will likely keep coming back to the product as a customer, you know, more out of a sense of enjoying sports betting. It's certainly not because, oh, I know Frank down at the sports book, right? Uh, certainly not because of any sort of human relationship. And the thought is that there, if there are actual touch points with customers you know, beyond, well, we know the last four digits of your social and that's good enough, that it's better for all parties, right? We talked about that end of the spectrum, you know, great sports book product that does all the sports booking and has a great connection to people's, you know, personal uh, embedding data and their wallets, but it's kind of an amorphous entity, right? Well, the other end of the spectrum, you know, kind of takes a page from traditional fantasy, a fantasy sports group with 10 of your friends, ironically on the same platform, oftentimes as a sports book, and this is incredible, right? You're starting weekly lineups, sometimes daily. You know, people who do this, as, I, as I've learned, they're having a diametric opposite experience to betting because they're interacting constantly with other contestants, their friends. They're in a contest now. They're not betters. You know, and those friends, they've known many of them. They've met them in person before. Some of them are old friends. The Ed at the hardware store is your commissioner who's your good friend. You know, but for all this connection the business really isn't making that much money. Now that's not your concern as the customer, but you know, for large tournaments, there's this thing called overlay. It's frequent and it's not good. You know, the, the platforms can come and go. It's a tough business to sustain, you know, profitably. So on one hand you have, you know, this, this sports betting experience that is fun for a lot of people, but it's isolative, right? And on the other hand, you have a daily fantasy experience or a season long fantasy experience, not to give too much of a stark contrast, but you have, more of a like traditional fantasy experience that is really fun and interactive and engaging for a lot of people, but it's not long-term scalable in the way uh, from a financial perspective that betting is. The traditional thought is that with scale, you know, you lose that personalization and with personalization, you lose that scale and scale will win every time. Small sports books, you know, will have customer relationships, you know, beyond data points <laughs> and large ones with millions of customers. Well, they never will because that's just not practical. But the question I think about all the time, Pierre, is 
why is there this relentless trade-off? And can we meet somewhere in the middle? Is there a middle ground where we're not performing KYC, we're actually knowing more about our customer? Regardless of the exact type of product, the specific vertical, LSB, DFS, casino versus sports, sweepstakes, regardless of the markets to which it pertains, this is where I think we have to go and we have to have a more in-depth conversation and then more importantly, effort as an industry. Because if the industry wants to get into selling additional products, it would do well to get into additional methods of selling uh, and having a relationship. And because if we don't go there, you know, my concern is that we're going to continue to be the industry where as compliance needs uh, continue to grow, we can't meet them. And where customer habits and opportunities change, you know, we don't stay with them. So that's, that's kind of the banner A1 headline where I think if there is innovation outside of product type, it's going to be in helping achieve those types of things. Um, and can we get to a point where we actually know our customer rather than know your customer? Well, I feel like um, if there was a gambling lexicon as in human form, it would look exactly like Will uh, Green. You're, it's like talking to an infinite well of gambling wisdom. It's uh, been absolutely a pleasure to uh, to have this conversation with you, Will. But I have I have a last question for you as well. Um, you know, or shall I call you Will GPT, perhaps? Because uh, uh, <laughs> of this, uh, let's, let's let's continue with that. But Will GPT, what you know, you headed up the Bet365. Uh, U.S. operation a couple of years ago. You're you're an advisor, founder, and uh, consultant uh, these days. Uh, what, what, what's uh, next for Will? What what are, what are your focus areas yourself for the moment and in the in the coming years, perhaps? Um, that's a that's a great question. I didn't uh, I didn't. <laughs> I was I didn't really, outline, my friend. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. Well, what outline? We don't have an outline. Uh, I, you know. I, I like the advisory space. Uh, I think it's it's fun. It's always challenging when you're in the advisory space because you can work with so many different folks. Um, there's there's never a dull day. I'll, I'll say that, and it really forces you to broaden both sort of your portfolio of, of connections, but also your skill set because you you have to be adaptable to focus on different clients' areas of need, which are, are, are widely ranging. So I really like that. Um, as I mentioned, I, I'm really intrigued by the sweepstakes space. Uh, I, I hope that there are ways, and I'm sure that there are, as that sector grows, for a lot of people to get involved in that. Um, that's definitely uh, an area of, of focus and interest. But you know, we'll we'll see where the industry heads, and I, I think the advisory the advisory piece is sort of where it's at for now. But you know, who's, who's to say uh, that won't change? Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Will GPT. Um, and just to summarize uh, this a bit uh, as well, I think this is, has been a really interesting discussion. And when we talked about this subject uh, a couple of months ago, you know, it really underscores the fact that when you try to predict the future, you shouldn't take the past too much into consideration. And I say that because um, the, the conversation started today by the natural assumption that the second wave of um, operators would come from within the regulated online gambling and online sports betting space, right? But it turned out that it kind of came from the side a bit. And, and uh, it just underscores the fact that we should always remember to think from first principles rather than think from analogy. And so from that perspective, I think this has been an absolute masterclass today, Will, and it's been really interesting to listen to uh, your thoughts and reminders to uh, 
uh, always think a little bit different. So thank you so much for, for that, Will. And um, thank you as well for waking up five in the morning. I hope you have read the Five Man Club because <laughs> uh, uh, the author will be very, very proud of you. And I wish you a very good day ahead of her. Hey, Pierre, uh, the pleasure was all mine. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you.